This podcast is brought to you by Benjamin, a workflow automation engine that allows advisors to focus on their clients rather than data management. Learn more at getbenjamin.com. As your life gets complex, you start to recognize the need for real professionals and you will seek those out. Joining me today on Bridging the Gap, a friend, a real good buddy of mine, Mike Langford. Mike Langford is the founder and CEO of FinServe Marketing and a podcast host of SoFin Podcast. Mike and I are just great friends. We connect anytime, and I'm so happy to have him back on our podcast. But I, I wish you guys understood the technical struggles two podcast hosts had when recording this episode because it has been a journey. But a hundred percent worth it with this guy. I asked Mike about the social changes and how the world has taken social media and the different social platforms to grow in their careers. How do we utilize these and how are they evolving and impacting our day-to-day professionally? We get into the evolution of social media and which was also just called social networking, but now is social media and there's an impact on that, which we talk about. And we talk about the growth of these platforms, the importance of being authentic to our viewers, And we talk about the future of social media within the financial services industry. This conversation, as all they are, as all of them are with Mike Langford, was a great one. So let's get into this episode with Mike Langford. This is Bridging the Gap with your host, Matt Reiner. Mike Langford, welcome back to Bridging the Gap. I mean, you are one of very few to where we've had you on multiple times, and this is actually a multiple redo recording which is amazing so welcome back man so fun to have you i am so thrilled to be back matt this is what a joy and by the way for i wish we clicked record before uh when we're having a prep call conversation here before we fire it up for the actual podcast content because we're having a blast but maybe we'll work some of that conversation in here we can definitely work some of it and you know what's so funny is i always put an hour on the books for these podcasts and they never really run that way because like the the prelim to recording is always like you know two or three minutes just getting everybody prepared but you and i just did 15 minutes of conversation uh pre pre pre-recording so that's why the hour is needed for conversations like you and i just had you know for 15 minutes that's what it's all about though for sure. You know, it, the thing I always tell people, I, I do the same thing. I block the hour and I tell people it could be for technical issues, which, by the way, is the reason why we had to do this redo technical issues on my end. So technical issues happen, even if you're a professional podcaster. But also, I was looking at it like you want to get your guest warmed up a little bit. And some people need a little more warming up than others. We do not, you and I, because we have great conversational chemistry. I mean, this is like our fifth podcast together or something like that. So you and I are ready to rock anytime but it is good to allow that that little banter in there so that people are comfortable and just ready to rock you know i always yeah i got it from i think matt holleran was the one that was on the podcast once and he he kind of told me how he eases people in and does a joke and like i love that mentality of easing people into a podcast because it can be intimidating to some people yeah. to like to get behind a mic and be like oh my god all these people are going to listen to me they're going to judge me like am i saying the right thing but matt always tries to get them to to say a joke now i love that mentality now the problem is is when the joke falls flat that's where the issues come because like I, my jokes are sometimes good. It depends on the day, but uh, if they fall flat, then it's yeah. like, all right, well, this is going to be a tough one. Pulling teeth all the time. I got a joke not too long ago. Went to Starbucks. Walk up. First of all, the barista, he's like a, I don't know, 65 year old, 70 year old man, you know, white goatee looking, looking dapper. And uh, he greets me with a Donald Duck voice. Number one, 
all right, buddy, we're going to be friends. Like this guy, I like it. You're like, you're looking to make people's day brighter. Now, first of all, you're controlling access to caffeine, which I desperately needed. So you're already going to make me happy and I'm going to have a good time. So then he looks at me, he goes, hey, where did Captain Hook buy his hook? Where? No Second idea. hand store. <laughs> Second hand <laughs> store. Come on. That's fantastic, <laughs> right? I get, I'm like, that was awesome. And I literally started like busting out laughing. I'm like, that was one of the best dad slash grandpa jokes I've heard in a long time in an unexpected environment. So yes, you can absolutely break the ice. Uh, did you buy piece, more so. coffee from this guy? I mean, did he, did you buy more than you usually do because of that? <laughs> I, I tell you what, though, I, I, they, you know, like they send out occasionally, I'm not sure if you're a Starbucks person or not, uh, but occasionally they send you a little email with like the, the survey, like, how did your visit go to this Starbucks you went to? Uh, and I literally glowed about this dude. I took the time out of my day to write a glowing review of this guy because he just made my day. It was awesome. I love that. That's amazing. I'm surprised, you know, not to call you out or anything, but I'm surprised you're a Starbucks guy coming from New England. New England's all about Duncan, the oh Duncan people. God. I mean, it's unbelievable. I'm I'm surprised you went went against your tribe like that because Here's New England thing, all like you got is Duncan, no Starbucks. I, I like my coffee to taste like coffee, not like watered down, whatever, or filled with multiple sugars. I'll take my coffee. I'll have a large regular. <laughs> you know, if, if you're not from New England, if somebody orders a large regular, that means. You know, uh, cream with two sugars. That's a regular if you order your coffee that way. It's gross. It's like, why don't you just order a milkshake, dude? Come on. <laughs> I remember I was interning up in New uh, in Boston once, and they only had, um, you know, Dunkin' Donuts. And I was still young and naive, and I went and ordered a coffee. And I you know, I just drink it regular, and I get it, and I take a sip. I'm like, what the hell is this? Like, this is disgusting. Like, I need something. Right. Can I? So I go back in, like, can I have it black? They're like, what? You want sugars in it or, or milk oh, yeah. or cream? I'm like, no, just nothing. Just the coffee. Just They're like, what's well, already mixed? I'm like, no, I just need yeah. the regular regular coffee nothing in it and they, they just uh, doesn't hit home. i don't know they're they like this dumb southerner coming up here <laughs> telling us what to do with our coffee and i'm like these dang northerners don't know what to do with their coffee it was just a very not a you know just didn't work out well it's terrible it's, it, it's so funny you get used to it like everybody loves dunkin donuts as you said up there it's like it's their thing although there's lots of starbucks around there too so uh but i was just I don't know. I decided I liked coffee and now I'm oh, going to start working. There you welcome go. to the good side. Welcome to the good That's side. Right. I'm glad that That's you right. did that. I'm glad that you made that transition. Well, to, so in our last podcast, we we talked for so long that we actually yeah. cut it up into two podcasts because yeah. we didn't want to, you know, I thought it was interesting, but I didn't want to make people listen for, you know, if their car ride's only 15 minutes, they'd have to listen to it for about three car rides, 10 car rides. I don't know how long it was, but we They're cut it into to two episodes. Car ride with me and you, come on. Yeah. I mean, awesome. It's the amazing. best car ride ever. Like That's traffic? Right. What's traffic anymore? <laughs> Right. We are the solution to traffic. That's right. That's right. Exactly. They're just turn on Mike and Matt. Out because they're with us in their car. Right. They just keep going in circles in the cul-de-sac before they turn right. into the driveway because they don't want oh, us to forget what we just talked about. It's really important stuff. Work call. I'll, I'll be late for dinner. I'm sorry. I'll be late for dinner. <laughs> Awesome. <laughs> last, last time we talked about everything around digital content strategies and podcasting because your background and how you've created this yeah. podcast empire within financial yeah. services and wealth management. Um, and today I want to dive into all around social media sure. 
trends on social media, all, how about how to market towards the the industry? Because you know you have that marketing prowess of understanding how to get people to listen and how to utilize podcasting and content to get people to engage, which I think is so um, unique mm. in our space. Um, and for those people that didn't listen to our, our first couple episodes that we did, I'd love for you to give, because I always love to hear your, your story and your background. Yeah. I always remember, you know, the part when you go and talk to random people on the, on the porches when you were a kid, I think that that's <laughs> just the best. So <laughs> that's, the, that's, great. that's well, the part that I always remember. I would love to say, yeah, <laughs> dive into that. Well, it's really funny. So, you know, I, I, I'll actually kind of start there, but, you know, I think most people when they're kids, if they're like me and they're a talker, like I've always been a talker. I'm a very social person. Uh, I can remember, you know, stop talking. You're talking too much. I can remember getting in trouble in elementary school, getting notes sent home to my parents. Michael is talking too much in class. Now, some of those were bull crap, you know, because uh, I would be the one who got caught talking. I wasn't actually the one who was talking the whole time. I wasn't just like rambling out in the middle of nowhere. It's always uh, the second person. It's the always second the person second person. who gets caught. Exactly. So uh, I've, I, you, you recognize, we, upon reflection, sometimes you realize you were you had something when you were really little. So I grew up in the city. Uh, the, the street that I grew up on had lots of two and three, three family homes, you know, the, the, the triple decker type stuff. And so they're very densely populated. And so back then, this is, you know, the 1970s, early 80s, you know, kids were, had a lot more freedom in, 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 the, in the neighborhood. So I would, you know, walk around and just shoot the breeze with the neighbors, like the old lady who was in a wheelchair next to the house, and she'd be outside with her little Boston Terrier. And I'd just be over there for an hour talking to her. And every once in a while, my parents would lose me, like, where the hell Michael go? And I'd be across the street sitting on the porch with two old ladies who were just hanging out, you know, like Ruth and Rose. Like, Why? Well, because they were available to talk to you. I just hang out, right? So was it gossip I'd, talk or what were you talking about? The markets? What were you talking about? With yeah, them? what would I would a actually ARP? love to know? What, what, me, like, what did Mike talk about? Like, you know, just I don't know. It was just a, I just loved it. I, by the way, I've always loved chatting with old people. So probably a lot of my conversations were tell me about the old days. I'm, I'm fortunate enough to, I remember uh, talking to my great grandmother uh, and, and, and she was telling me about the first time she saw a car, like ever saw an automobile and her and her brothers were playing and they could heard this, as she described it, this terrible noise coming and like what is that noise and they ran to the road because they could tell it was coming on the road and they saw a car this is like you know 1915 or something like that it was like can you imagine seeing a car for the first time like you and i've never known the world without cars and planes and, and so forth and she's got to see a car fly in an airplane and see somebody land on the moon so uh so i, I guess i've always been interested in people's stories like Learning it's like us other. talking to our kids about what a pager was. Yeah, they right. would never see a pager or what it was right. like before the internet. How or a phone, phone that has a cord that's attached to the wall of the kitchen. And that cord is like 40 feet long. So you can walk from the kitchen all the way out to the living room. Right. Cause there's one phone in the house, like that type of thing. And you used to, have to do this dial thing. Like that's why they call dialing the number. It actually was a dial. Right. Uh, so exactly. kind of bringing it back, like, I've always liked talking to people. I've always been really interested in stories and so forth. And I really wish, frankly, that I knew that that could be a viable career when I was young. Because I went to a high school, which was at the time, I think, considered the largest high school on the East Coast. It had 5,000 kids in it. The high school itself had um, eight buildings all connected. We had an Olympic-sized swimming pool, a planetarium actually in the school. I'm not joking. Like this, this place, it was like a campus. We had an outdoor competitive swimming pool with the giant diving platforms all the time in the Northeast. This is crazy. 
One thing we did have is we also had a television station and a radio station actually at the high school. And it never dawned on me that, so somebody who likes talking a lot, it never dawned on anybody else to go, hey, dude, why don't you get up here and put his face in front of a microphone or the camera or whatever and test that out. So I didn't discover this until 2007 when I basically transformed my career, I'd say. I left Fidelity Investments to start my own RIA. And I had no money for marketing. I, so I'm like, well, I tell you one thing I could do. Number one, I knew LinkedIn was a, a real deal. I, I joined LinkedIn. I'm user 176,000 on LinkedIn out of their, whatever, approaching a billion people. Like I was really early, like two months into LinkedIn launching, I was on LinkedIn. So I was one of the first, first people. And I got it right away. A friend of mine described it. He's like, you know, listen, it, you basically put your resume on the thing effectively. And you can connect to people. like So you never lose touch with people you work with. But to me, it was like, I'm subscribing to other people's careers is the way I thought about it. Like So I'm now, anytime you make a move, and LinkedIn doesn't do this the way they used to do it as much, but you used to get like a daily like thing that said, you know, everybody who changed jobs in your network, right? Or whatever. But I got it. I'm like, if I'm starting a business, being connected to people, every time they change jobs, I get a notification. That tells me there's a 401k rollover potential. There's, there's money in motion happening in my network. So I knew social media was going to be important to my career right away. And then I, I, I thought, you know what I should do is send a newsletter out. I knew an email newsletter. Remember, constant contact was brand new. This is like 2006. So I'm like, okay, I'm sending out this newsletter. I'm going out to all the chamber of commerce things and networking, you know, shaking hands, kissing babies, as they say. Uh, I've got LinkedIn. It's working well. I'm, you know, I'm starting to build a practice. And the newsletter was doing well. And I, I heard about this thing called podcasting. I'm like, that's interesting. So anybody can record stuff and upload it. And then other people can subscribe to it and listen to it. Like, that's neat. Okay, I got to try that. So I went out and bought a Mac. Uh, and I bought a, a, a blue snowball. Like, the, you know, before Blue Yeti, there's this thing called a snowball. It actually looks like a round white snowball microphone, cheap ass microphone. And hooked it up and, and started recording a garage band. Like, so basically it was, you know, what, a thousand something dollars for the computer, which I was going to use for work. But, and then also, you know, a hundred dollar microphone and the free software that came with the computer. And effectively I was in business, right? Recording these podcasts, but I didn't know anything about podcasts. So as luck would have it, I'm like, I Google like, uh, oh, podcast, learning about podcasts or something like that. And up comes this thing called PodCamp. I kid you not, it was called PodCamp. And it was happening, it was PodCamp 2, by the way, the second one, it was happening at the Boston Convention Center. This is October, 2007. I know that for a fact because the Red Sox were in the World Series and, and some of the days I was gonna be like, cutting it close, missing the World Series. So I was getting really upset about that. So this PodCamp thing was, they called it PodCamp, but it was really a, you know, a bunch of people who were interested in digital marketing, social media. And it was, you know, I think free or, really darn near free to attend. And you know, they had all these different breakout sessions and anybody, they called them unconferences, by the way. This was kind of weird. Anybody can attend any session and you can choose to just leave a session. If it's not interesting to you, go to the other session or whatever. So they, they kind of call it and it was more about networking and so forth. But that was a transformative weekend for me. I went to a brand new ecosystem of human beings. I had been in the financial services industry at that time for, you know, 15 years. And so my whole network was financial services people and people from business school, but it was not like in digital world, basically. And suddenly I'm meeting people from all over the place, people from marketing agencies, from, you know, four to 500 companies that are interested in this type of stuff. 
And uh, that was also the first week where I heard of this thing called Twitter. And by the way, interject if I'm going too long. <laughs> so, so, and thanks, Mike, for joining yeah, us on the podcast. That was a really fun yeah, time. We appreciate you. We'll, uh, yeah. we'll catch you back next time. <laughs> so... <laughs> This is, again, 2007. So I hear about this thing called Twitter because one of the, 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 the speakers goes, hey, everybody, if you want to uh, follow the, along on Twitter, the hashtag for this is PodCamp2. Uh, and then we've got a Twitter handle for it. I'm like, I don't even know what this Twitter thing is, but I'll sign up for it. So I go on Twitter, sign up, and uh, get my Twitter handle. And, you know, I follow a couple of people who are there, and then I just kind of let it sit there. But a couple of months goes by, and one of my clients who was in marketing sends me an email and in his email signature, he has his Twitter handle. So Aaron has, why is he on Twitter? I'm already connected with him on LinkedIn. I've got his cell phone number so I can text him if I want to. Uh, I wasn't on Facebook yet. That, that, I didn't join Facebook, I think until beginning of 2008. But it was like, I didn't understand, like, this makes no sense of why somebody would be on this thing called Twitter. So I go to Google and I Google his name. And sure enough, on the first page of Twitter of, of Google results, I see his name. is a link to his Twitter handle. I'm like, that's interesting. And I click on it and I see he's got 600 followers. Like 600 people follow Aaron. I'm like, oh, I think I get this thing. I'm like, it's Google juice. I, it, so every tweet you make creates a unique web page, and it creates content, and it's real time. And I'm like. This is fascinating. And people are having these vibrant conversations. They're meeting each other and meeting new people. I'm like, oh, I got to check this stuff out. So I, start, I started diving in headlong. Later that year, I started a company called TweetWorks because I start using Twitter a lot. And it's actually working for my career. I'm, I'm getting tons of value out of it. Also, just personally, I'm enjoying the heck out of it. But I noticed Twitter was a pain in the butt. Because at that time, and I'm not sure for any of your listeners if they were on Twitter back then, but Twitter wasn't as clean as it is now where you, you see somebody and they say, they show all the replies underneath. You can expand the conversation and see everything. It used to be a tweet was a unique instance. And it would say underneath it, there'd be a link that said in reply to you would click in reply to, and it would open up another web page for the previous tweet. And then you'd click in reply to on that. And it would open up another. So you would actually have to, in your brain, construct what this conversation looked like one tweet at a time versus being able to just see the whole thing. Like, that's nuts. So I knew enough about tech to know, you know what? There's this thing called APIs. They, they're, they're, all these apps were plugging into Twitter. I bet you I could hire some developers and we could fix this problem. <laughs> so I did. I hired developers. And we created this thing called TweetWorks, which is the first fully threaded platform for Twitter. So you could actually see all your conversations in one spot. Right? You could actually expand the conversation. And then we created groups, like you see on Facebook or LinkedIn, because I thought hashtags were idiotic. Because like you get 140 characters, you're going to waste one some of those characters with a hashtag. Why not just create a group and like hashtag PodCamp instead becomes the PodCamp group, and there's all the conversations here are in a group. I went over. Nobody liked that idea, by the way. It didn't really take off. But, <laughs> so, but anyway, long story short, I, so I, I did that. Ran TweetWorks for two years, but that was also during the 08 you know, financial crisis and so forth. Ran out of money. And just as we were, were kind of running out of money and, and, and things were picking up again, Twitter made a decision that they were kind of going to close down the ecosystem. They were going to take some ownership of that. So I had a decision to make at the end of 2010. What do I want to do? Do I want to keep running my RIA and growing that, like kind of return to that? Or do, do I like this new digital world? And the answer is I like the new digital world, right? So uh, decided to, or 
I've been to Austin a few times. My wife and I have talked about moving someplace warm. Um, I had some people down here. In fact, that guy, Aaron, had already moved. Him and his family had moved from Boston to Austin. So I knew that I was going to have a good professional and friend network here. My wife knew people, some people here. So like, this won't be that big of a jump. And my son was six. He was going to be going into first grade. So it was like this really interesting jump. And then as luck would have it, somebody's like, hey, have you seen this company called Socialware? They're making like this software so that financial advisors can use social media and be compliant because things have to be archived. They have to be supervisable and so forth. Some features should be locked down for financial advisors like liking and so forth. Like, no, I've never heard of them. Well, they're looking for a head of social strategy. I said like, it's kind of a quick email. Like I might be the perfect person for this. Like I've got a deep knowledge in um, financial services and I'm incredibly deep on social media. In fact, I was kind of at the earliest days of it got hired like almost on the spot type of thing. Like it was like one day of interview and like, yeah, you're in like the next day. So moved the family to Austin. And uh, as all startup stories happen, well, not all startups, half the startup stories or more happen. Socialware didn't really make it. And so a year later, I'm kind of like, oh, darn it. Like, <laughs> so, um, Perfect job now gone. Perfect job yeah. now gone. But what happened was a lot of the clients, the big ones, the Morgan Stanleys and, and, and Cambridge and, and all those types of companies that, that we were you know, big independent broker dealers, wirehouses and, and smaller RIAs and so forth that I had come in contact with during my days at Socialware came calling and said, hey, you still want some of your advice and guidance, Mike, on what we can do. Can you come speak at our conference or whatever? All those types of things that continued. And so FinServe Marketing, as you know, it it's the company that I run now, uh, which, you know, we have pivoted to exclusively producing podcasts, videos, and, and webinars for our clients. Uh, that was born kind of that day, right? Because it was just, hey, the, these this industry still needs social media. They need digital uh, and, and rich media like podcasts and videos and so forth. They like they need oxygen. And we're here to do it. You know, it's it, <clears throat> your background. That's why I love that story. And that's why I don't cut you off, except for sometimes just to throw some jabs in, but is because I, I love just like the trajectory of it and, and, and like kind of the each stepping stone provides more validity yeah. to why you are so knowledgeable and such a, a, a person of, of wisdom on, on social networking, on podcasting, et cetera, because you've seen it evolve. Yeah. And, you know, speaking of LinkedIn and, and Twitter, you know, now you have, you know, you at Facebook and now you have all these other social media sites, you have Instagram, you have TikTok, you have yeah. X, I don't know, whatever anything else is. Like, I have no idea what the next one is, but what is the future of social media within our space, right? Sure. Like, because the impact of, of LinkedIn is is different now it's turning more into a social network that they want to talk about your human you know your your life and not your yeah. necessarily your career twitter is drastically different now i mean it's going to be in space because elon's just going to shoot it up with spacex i don't know what he's going to do with it but you know i, I don't know what the difference is or the impact can be is lessened now because it's so saturated sure so what is the future of social media um within this industry to have an impact, right? What, how do we use it now, given it's you know, 10, 15 years into the, the making of it? So what, uh, I think you, you voiced, I think, what is a common misconception. And, and the reason why I say it's a common misconception is I hear it relatively frequently. That, that Number one, that it's saturated. Um, I, I also hear people talk about, well, yeah, we have social media. We push stuff out there, but we don't really see any results from social media. And, and we're just pushing stuff out there. I think one of the things that folks, particularly in our industry, right? 
often overlook is it's a social network, right? So it's for networking socially with people. And that still is very much a real deal on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, if you choose to do it that way. Uh, you know, why did you used to go and maybe you still do go to chamber of commerce meetings and yes, it's to support your local community of business owners and so forth, but it's to socialize it's to connect with other human beings, right? On a real genuine and authentic level that shouldn't be lost on social media, right? Uh, as, uh, it's often called people say it's like a cocktail party online, right? Well, well just you know, make sure you go right and, and participate, be a, be a listener, pay attention and, and engage with others. And, 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 I think if you treat it like that, any social network like that, you will find opportunities for you, right? Well, so let's talk about this because I think you're the one that brought this up to me. You just mentioned that. So you said a word, social networking. That's an old school word. Now it's called social media because it's all about the content that's out there. So it's a matter of how you utilize it. But I don't know if people people see it, they're they're using it more as a media tool as opposed to a networking tool. So then that is the concern is that they're trying to push out content, but they're not doing anything effectively to network with that content to allow for them to grow their business. Because they're like, well, everybody's just putting out video. So I'm just going to put out a video or I'm just going to put my podcast out there. But if you're not going back to the root of what these were, which was social networks, not social media platforms, mm-hmm. then you're not going to see the full effect of it. So then the question gets to is, are are we using it the wrong way then? I think a lot of people are using it the wrong way. I think a lot of people are, they're pumping out a message, right? And they're, they're just putting it out there and they're hoping that people interact with it or not interact with it, right? I think people spend much less time listening than they should. Like, who is your network? As an example, if you're a financial advisor and your target market is doctors, physicians in your general geographic area, okay, number one, you should be following and interacting with a lot of physicians on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, wherever they hang out, wherever you see them. Uh, next door, by the way, if you, by the quick aside, next door, it's amazing network, right? You, first of all, you get to find out who all the jerky neighbors are really, around your, you know, I'm not sure how vibrant next door is near you, but it's really vibrant. I live in like a golf course community. It's one of those master plan communities. So it's pretty vibrant here, but it is a, it's an amazing tool, right? You can, you know, find out all about the businesses that are happening and, and, and what's important to people in the neighborhood. Uh, and, and, you know, the whole concept is build a network of people that have liked interests that are in your target market and then make sure that they are aware, right? Uh, you so take a step back. Everybody's heard, probably listening to this, uh, the old axiom that says, you know, people do business with those they know, like, and trust, right? We've, we've all heard that. I think, you know, I think Zig Ziglar or one of those sales guys created that type of deal. Well, there's two other things that are missing there, right? Because I can know you, I can like you, I can trust you, but I also needed to have some familiarity with you. And what I mean by that is I need to see you somewhat frequently in my feed. I need to to interact with you somewhat continuously because if I know you like you trust you, but I haven't seen you since college and a time comes when I need a financial advisor. Oh, sorry, Matt. Like, oh man, totally. I completely forgot. If I had known, uh, I would have done business with you, but you know, Joe got my business and, and I'm happy there. I don't want to like move my money, right? So you've got to have a, the ability to interact with people frequently. 
So familiarity is important. And then the last one that I think is missing from that know you like you trust you is demonstration of competence. That you know what you're doing, you know what you're talking about, that you're relevant to me. And so, you know, as an example, like I can know you like you trust you, but if I have no confidence that you're going to be a good driver in my car, uh, you don't get to borrow my car for the weekend, right? You know, so uh, when it comes to my finances, like I, I need to have some idea that you're you're reasonably uh, you get it, or you know what you're doing, right? So when we talk about putting out media for doctors, as an example, for physicians, is like, well, physicians have some unique problems, right? They have some unique challenges that are uh, for their industry, right? So why not publish content that's relevant to them? Why not host a webinar that is specifically for the financial needs for physicians? Number one, connect with a lot of them, interact with them, and then occasionally publish content that is specific for physicians, right? So things like, you know, retirement plan specifics for physicians. How can physicians plan for retirement? Because many of them work until like 80. Why is that? That might be a challenge, right? So there's things that you can do that are specific to them. I always talk about using the right language, like going native, right? I call my customers clients, right? But doctors call theirs patients, right? That's that's a a vernacular difference that's really minute. But if you have restaurateurs as your clients, they call theirs diners or patrons or whatever. So on your content that you put out there, using the right words, it's this little basic stuff, but showing that you're competent, showing that you're the right person. I was joking about like, if if you walk into someplace, if somebody walked into your office or goes to your website, do they know they're in the right place? Well, part of that could be like, what brought them there? right? And you're using mm-hmm. the right type of stuff. And so think through who your audience is, who are you networking with, right? Because hey, look, people, we always talk about, this is a great example. You probably experienced this, Matt. When you talk to financial advisors, ask them, where do they get their clients from? Very often it's from referrals. Oh yeah, we almost want our clients from referrals. Well, awesome. Social media is fantastic for referrals, right? So interacting with your existing clients there, looking through their network to see who else you might want to branch off and what's your path of pursuit, who else do they know who looks like them who share some of the similar characteristics, whether that's a niche, like a professional niche, or, you know, look, wealthy people know other wealthy people. It's kind of a simple, basic concept, right? But networking in those communities works. You know, there's so much gold on that whole conversation that I want to tap into because you talk about like niche marketing and and having a niche and buying into your niche and leaning into it as opposed to just being like, I'm serving everybody. But Mm -hmm. then you talk about competence and you talk about this idea of uh, you know, referrals, uh, social networking is a great area for you to get tons of referrals. You know, your media is only as good as your network is built. And if you're not engaged mm-hmm. with your network, then your media is, in, is, is worthless, basically, right? You're just like yeah. hope you're just throwing stuff on the wall and hoping that it sticks and, and you're not going to get that's not a good strategy. Hope is not a good strategy. But I want to talk about competence for a second. And then I want to dive into some of the other ones. Mm-hmm. Competence, right? Social media is comp is showing that you're competent in a space. Now, the challenge that I have and I'm wondering is, you know, you have some of these new social media networks that are coming out like TikTok. Mm-hmm. I don't know much about TikTok. I'm not using it a lot, but there's I, I, I've read the stories and whether they're right or wrong, I know that the sources can be misleading. Sure. There's a lot of people out there that are giving financial advice that aren't financial advisors right. and people are, are eating that up. They're loving yeah. it, which then makes me question is the next generation that grew up in social media and not necessarily social networking era. 
do they care about competence? Because it seems that they don't if they're eating it up and getting hundreds of thousands of followers on TikTok. They're all just about, to, you know, how does it look? Is it engaging, et cetera? So is competence going to still be needed or, or is there going to be kind of a, a rude awakening over time? I think there's a couple of things there. One is, I say this to my kids, I have two teenage kids, right? One's 17, one's, one's 14. And they're obviously heavy, heavy users of social media. And I always say to them, like, listen, human nature hasn't changed. Like, I, I swear to you, kids, teenage kids are the exact same as they are, as they were when I was a teenager in the 1980s, right? Uh, you know, there's jerky kids, there's awesome kids, there's, you know, outgoing kids, whatever, like the, the gossipy stuff, all that type of stuff is, is, is the same. So uh, human beings are going to be prone and susceptible to flashy, soundbitey type of information uh, that is not backed up by any science or, or factual stuff, uh, but it just seems like it's probably the right thing to say. Uh, they're always going to be susceptible to that, and I think they always have been. You see the stories back in you know, uh, you know, there really is a snake oil salesman, right? You know, they, they, the people are. They're, they can be gullible, right? Be, and why? Why can they be gullible? Because they don't have the right lens, the right analytical mind to kind of decide, is this a good piece of advice or not a good piece of advice, right? Uh, so I think that's always going to be the case. Should we be worried if you're a financial advisor uh, uh, about this type of stuff? Is this going to cannibalize your business? I, look, is there a chance that you you would lose a prospect or a client to some flashy TikToker type person? <laughs> I don't know that that because one of the things I actually had a conversation with Kieran Bowl from McKinsey about price metrics by McKinsey, and they do this annual amazing uh, report on the state of the wealth management industry, and they actually pull data from 70,000 financial advisors, like their accounts. like and so, so like, this is real data. This isn't anecdotal. We surveyed 100 advisors and this is what we think is happening. This is like, this is really what's actually happening in the world, right? And he says, the trend is that people are the same today as they were a long time ago. That when your life gets sufficiently complex, and we'll, this is where we can get into competency here. When a, con a financial consumer, a life gets sufficiently complex, they will turn to a professional because winging it just doesn't work, right? So when you start to have children, you're married, you have a home, you have enough wealth where you're like, man, I've worked years to generate this type of stuff. You have a business, whatever that is, as your life gets complex, you start to recognize the need for real professionals and you will seek those out. So I don't, actually have the data to say like who are the folks who are responding to financial tiktokers on online right who like are they all young people i don't know i mean i i would one would assume it skews younger of course um and so are they a bunch of young people who have no real money <laughs> to put to work and they're just right. doing a bunch of stuff and occasionally they see the story of, of, of crypto bro who made a bunch of money off of bitcoin i don't know but and i tend to believe that they will always be like man, when this, when it's important for this to go right and not, it is extra important for this not to go wrong. I'm turning to a pro. When you have a life event, right? It, it's always about those life events where it's like, gosh, things have now changed drastically. But you think about it I was, as you were talking, I was listening, but I was also drawing pictures. I like to draw pictures. I was drawing a yeah. picture of my family. Uh, no, yeah. I really wasn't. But um, I was drawing a picture of saying like, you know, if you think about the, the spectrum of, of like life, 
right? Mm -hmm. and, and this is like very simplistic because I didn't have a ton of time, but you have that like low complexity, you have more complexity mm -hmm. when you have a life event. And then you have like this, I, this stage where you get to low desire, where you just mm -hmm. don't want to deal with it anymore. You, you understand, you have a knowledge, you're, you're really not complex, you're just retiring, you just don't want to deal with it anymore. And like the, the area for the advisor is really in that more complex, low desire. That's where your clientele is. That's where we've always focused. But everybody's wanting to focus on this, this low complexity, you know, millennial uh, client. And that's where all the stories are hyped up about, right? About crypto and how it's raging and all the numbers behind it, and all the numbers behind TikTok. But if you break down those data points, it's all younger people that are in mm -hmm. that low complexity, which aren't the ideal client, which you probably don't need to serve anyways, because they don't have a need. They don't have a yeah. desire or a need or a want, even though we want them to, there's just no desire there. So I think that it does skew, which is such a, an interesting perspective because everybody's worried about all these things. But what it does provide is I think it's just like another source of noise that advisors have to deal with. Like another mm -hmm. thing that we have to be like, well, no, don't listen to Joe Schmo on TikTok because he doesn't know what he's talking about. This is why. This is what CFP is. This is, and it's like, gosh, I have to battle all the news outlets. I have to battle all of the Google searches. I have to battle Ask Jeeves. I have to battle all this stuff, and um, and and now it's just becoming a challenge of another source that you have to battle. And I, I don't think it's necessarily like a, a source for growing your clientele, maybe growing your knowledge. But I have talked to a few people on this podcast that use it, but they have a ton of users and they maybe are getting some clients out of it, but it's just a matter of how long those clients stay with them as their complexity issues arise. Well, and it, and it could be, so if we, if we want to like swim where, you know, with the current, if you will, right, versus kind of swim against the current, let's just say, and you should be doing this, by the way, and I think all advisors will at least nod their head like, yes, I should be doing that, even if they're not doing it, is like you should be building relationships with the heirs of your clients, right? So if if you're an advisor and you know, and you're you have clients in your 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 roster that are 65 years old, well, actuarial tables tell you <laughs> like you know, you you want to make sure that you se secure their heirs, right? Um, well, how do you secure their heirs? Well, first of all, make sure you meet them. Make sure you actually meet them in person and have conversations with them and they know who you are, that they have your contact information, right? To be have the real conversation. Ask them. Do not be afraid to ask. Like, oh yeah, what so what channels do you use online? We want to make sure that we stay connected and relevant to not only to our existing clients, but to to, to the, the extended families of our clients, because you're important. Like part of the financial plans that we are building for mom and dad or grandma and grandpa, whatever. You're in that plan, whether you're a client or not, you're in that plan. So you're important to us. So we want to make sure that we're, you know, staying with you. So it may be that you, when you look at across your client roster, you're like, Hey, listen, do you realize that like in our network of, of stewardship of financial lives, there are 150 teenagers. Hey, we might need a TikTok channel to put out the occasion and, and be on Instagram for some occasional snippets of financial reason. Now, they don't have to be overly flashy. They can be like, did you know that if you start saving $100 a month now at the age, you know, talking about the miracle of compounding, right? Could be like a very basic fundamental thing, right? Talking to people about little simple things like, I'm not sure if you've ever read The Latte Factor. Have you ever read that book, that book The Latte Factor? Mm -hmm. I know we got a question about books coming up. It's actually a really great book for young people. It's, oh no, it's Automatic Millionaire. I'm sorry, but the, the principle in, in The Automatic Millionaire is this thing called The Latte Factor. And, and basically the guy goes into 
you know, your four dollar, five dollar, whatever the heck a latte. I don't get lattes. We had this conversation about Dunkin' Donuts and Starbucks before this. By the way, I'm a Starbucks person, and I am a black coffee or Americano type guy. Just in case you're ever looking to buy me a coffee, come bearing an Americano. I'll be happy to see you. <laughs> but if you spend every day four or five dollars, six dollars on a latte, and we take that out over the 30 years of your life, 40 years of your working life, it's millions of dollars, millions. Now, the pun, the, you know, the, the whole point of that is like teaching people like this, this is what can happen with your spending, not just with your investing. Like you could literally have spent millions of dollars of wealth on lattes. Nothing wrong with that, but make an informed decision. Understand that that's what you're, what you're spending. You're not just getting your coffee, you're getting, you know, your, your, or you're just making a decision to have today pleasure versus tomorrow pleasure. Those things can be it, wonderful for teaching young people. Which is such a hard, it's a hard concept for people to understand because our just brains aren't built like that, right? Our brains aren't built to think that long term. We're always making yeah. decisions. Like even when, you know, even like, you know, people that are in the industry, we know mm -hmm. it, but we still can't stop doing it. Like we True. know the issues, we know the psychological challenges, but we can't stop doing it. Yeah. Yeah. from there the you know the um the other point I, I love that idea about using tiktok to get to the next gen of your clients because and it's not and like if the the people that are listening like maybe the advisors are listening like gosh i'm you know tiktok's just not my generation i'm just gonna let that be for some that's fine let someone like a high potential in your firm that is like that wants to own something give them the ownership of it because it's got such a low um, it, at low risk and it could have yeah. a potentially high impact to the firm sure. that let them go run with it and own it. And maybe just maybe you start to create a community of your clients, kids and grandkids that then spreads to more of other clients, grandkids that then tell the clients that then ultimately has this nice little like circle of, of love that's bringing referrals in as well. So give it to a hypo that can go and run with it. Um, and, but the, the, this does lead to a challenge. I want to ask this one last question before sure. I get into the final two questions. I, I think about it because as you were talking about social media and talking about utilizing it and, 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 and getting into networking and using it as referrals, I mm. just start to think, and this is like putting my advisor hat on and, and my, um, you know, we're very um, risk averse as advisors is sure. it's like, gosh, what a compliance mess to be able mm -hmm. to do social media and social networking. Like everything, like I think about one of our firms, everything has to go through our compliance officer. It's like, sure. okay. But, but so then it's like it, your, your message and your voice just tends to not, it has to be like regulated. And, and I'm wondering if that is the reason why we're not leaning into social media more and social networking more because we're so concerned. Like, you know, to that example that I just mentioned about TikTok, the, the, the owner of the firm or the partner of the firm may not want to do TikTok, but they're hesitant to let someone else do it because it's like, well, now I got to monitor something else. Now mm -hmm. I've got the regulators going to look at me on something else. And I, I just don't want to, you know, might as well just not do it because I don't want to expose myself, even if it could end, end up adding us sure. to business. So I'll just avoid it. How do we get over that as an industry yeah. to be better? That's a, and that is a million dollar question. And so, and I have heard from so many younger advisors who express a lot of frustration about, I joined this firm, I see, and by the way, we have a, a real problem in this industry. We need to attract younger advisors. So if you have younger advisors on your team, hold on to them like gangbusters because like there, a lot of firms are having a hard time bringing on younger talent and you know, we need them. You need, you're, these are the beginning people who take over your business someday. 
right? You're going to want them to buy your business if you don't have some sort of ownership sharing program already in place. You're going to want these people there to make sure the business continues. Uh, and you, by the way, you also owe it to your clients to have that type of continuity, right? A succession plan in place. That's a different conversation. But you, you do have to get over it, right? And I'll, I'll make it as ridiculous sounding as, 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 as I can. When email came out in the 1990s, when email became a thing, compliance officers, and many of them might be old enough to remember this uh, if they're listening, compliance officers were like, we can't allow email. No, oh, no, 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 email. How are we going to read all these emails? Oh my God, we, we can't let financial advisors sending emails. What are you nuts? We'll be, you know, we'll, we'll lose our licenses or the firm will go out of business. All, literally, I'm not joking. That was a big issue. I know that because when social media, when I was at Salesforce and we were out talking to the big firms about allowing their financial advisors to use social media, to be on LinkedIn, not just to have a LinkedIn page. I am a financial advisor, no other information about me on here, but to actually be able to, share something on LinkedIn, to be able to reply to somebody who on LinkedIn, either in public or in a message or whatever, you know, they were freaking out about that. And then some of the old compliance officers would be like, Hey, look, we were here. Remember how complexity where it was. And to the point of what they ended up doing is at most firms, the way compliance is handled on a compliance review is handled for social media is it gets captured and then routed through the same email tool for review that they used to review emails. And it has a, uh, a, a filter on it that does, you know, looks for a lexicon of like, you know, somebody said, did somebody say the word guarantee or buy or like all these terms that are like, that might indicate we need to review this conversation type of stuff. So the tools are there. Technology has taken that off. You know, the, the, the firms like the Smarshes of the world and, and hearsay socials or whatever, they're there. They offer tools that are can help you sift through your social media and, and monitor what's going on. Uh, so it's not all that complex. The, you know, you mentioned something else that I think is worth commenting on. You know, so somebody might go, well, yeah, I don't know if I'm gonna go through the hassle because what if I do pick up one client or whatever? Do, is that a problem? Is that's kind of paraphrasing what you said. Here's another way of looking at it. What if it saves you clients? What if it's a defensive strategy, right? I always make this, this is a conversation. Uh, I used to do a lot of presentations uh, from stage and, and do smaller breakout sessions at these advisor conferences about social. And, you know, people will be like, well, I don't know if I was on social media, my, my competitors might see my clients who I'm connected with and they might try to steal my clients or whatever. That's a really good point. Let me ask you something. If somebody told you, hey, there's a cocktail party happening down the street, um, it's a big one. Like everybody from the, 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 all the high powered people from the city are going to be there. Oh, by the way, your top clients have all been invited to the cocktail party they're going. And I also know that all of the, uh, financial advisors from the area are also going to be at that cocktail party. Are you going to go, or are you just not going to go? The answer is like, there's no way you're letting your clients go to that cocktail party with all those financial advisors without you being in the room to run defense, right? I need to be there too. The same is true here on these social channels, right? You need to have a presence. Do you have to spend all of your time on social media? No, of course not. You need to be there. You need to be interacting. Let them, letting your clients, your prospects, you know, referral partners know that you're a vibrant part of the community, just as you would in person, right? If there is a new channel that is important to your community, you need to know about it, right? And you need to have some 
form of strategy for getting there. If it is your, the young people at your firm who are more fluent and comfortable on TikTok and Instagram and, and making YouTube videos, if that's their thing, set them loose. Of course, you're going to have some reins on them. You know, they're not going to be able to just, you know, they, they are financial advisors, right? They, they have, or, or they're, you know, they're somebody in your term who's a, a, your firm that's an assistant. But you have to let them interact with people where they're at because the future of your firm depends on it. Yeah, I love that. I think that the two takeaways I have from that conversation is, you know, I love that cocktail party example because like that's the real world. Like you're going to yeah. go and play defense and everybody of your clients are there and every client is seeing content of other people's stuff and you've mm-hmm. got to be there to help mitigate the noise. Like that's the way to be proactive. And then the second is, is that there's a lot of technology to help you ensure that your team isn't abusing social media and putting your firm at risk. And, you know, the other thing about compliance and and they're coming out with some new marketing rules and everything of that nature. It's a matter of having protocols in there. Not that it's perfect all the time, but that you're having processes and the processes are being followed. And then when they're not followed, you're taking appropriate action. And if you do that, then you're being compliant. It doesn't mean that everything that's done on social media is perfect all the time. I think that that's something to be keenly aware of as well. Well, two, two things I always say to people that when it, as it relates to compliance. Number one, regulators are most concerned with financial consumers being defrauded. That is the number one thing. They are, they are protecting consumers from being ripped off. That is their number one thing. That they're, that, that'll get their attention more than anything else. If you're out there trying to defraud investors, don't do that. You know, don't start promising returns or peddling shady crap, right? Stay away from that type of stuff, right? So number one, if you're not doing that, you're probably not going to get fined into oblivion. The other one is keep records, right? Well, again, I mentioned a couple of software solutions that are relatively easy that'll back up all your social media stuff, right? So you, as long as you're keeping reasonable records of communication uh, and your marketing that's going out into the world, you're going to be fine, right? So yeah, I love that. Pretty simple. Well, I love that. Mike Langford, we could stay talking for a long time. I know that you Uh, have like other things to do. You have other people to see, babies to kiss, you know, all that type of stuff, right? You got to go get coffee from Starbucks or Dunkin' or you're, I'm just kidding. uh, But I want to ask you two two questions before I let you go that I ask all of our guests. And you mentioned a book on the earlier, but I always like to ask because I'm a constant learner. I love to learn from Mm -hmm. smart people and I think you are a smart person. And so I want to learn and I like to learn via reading as well. So I'm always curious, what's one of those books that you think that everybody should read to get a little bit more knowledge in their brain? Okay. So this book, I have it as an audio book. So I'll recommend the audio book version, but you can also get a, a print version uh, that's been updated. It's called Networking with Millionaires. And it's by Thomas Stanley, uh, Dr. Thomas Stanley, who is the guy who wrote uh, The Millionaire Next Door, which was debunking uh, you know, uh, myths that we have about millionaires. Everybody thinks millionaires are these you know, rich and flashy lawyers or doctors or whatever, but there's lots of guys who own like, you know, Lawn, landscaping businesses or whatever that are also millionaires. And so he wrote this follow-up book called Networking with Millionaires. And I think it's really relevant to our conversation, right? Like how do you connect with millionaires? And, and, and I have recommended, I think that's the book I've recommended most to financial advisors because I really think it helps them frame the mind of how they're going to connect and interact with people who have assets to manage, right? So I think it's a really, really good book. And the Millionaire Next Door book is the number one book I've recommended to financial consumers because it really, really helps them understand how to build wealth. Um, Two amazing books. Yeah, I love those books. Two amazing books. 
Um, I think that, you know, the, the millionaire next door is just an incredible fear is an incredible philosophy of just how you want to live anyways. And then, you know, to grow your business networking with millionaires is a phenomenal one. So the last question that I always like to ask is, you know, we talk about this and I get this from the Barron's conference because I think it's so great. We talked about a ton of stuff. We talked about Mm -hmm. a lot of different ideas and things, but what is one piece of actionable advice that you think listeners should take away from our podcast here today? You're going to love this. So I would say go native and pay attention to the people that you're going native with. What does that mean, right? So I talked a lot about how like I went uh, and, and started going to PodCamp and all the social media and digital marketing stuff. And as a result, I have an incredibly big and vibrant network in there. So in this industry, we talk about niche marketing a lot, right? Like you find your niche, find your niche. It doesn't have to necessarily be... Uh, doctors or, you know, profession or whatever. It can be your alumni association, but it could be interest level, right? So going native, like get into whatever that thing you're into. Like for me, as, as, as an example, I'm a Star Wars nerd. Like I have been since about five years old when the first uh, Star Wars movie came out. Uh, I've got like a custom print of the Millennium Falcon behind me here for those who are watching video. Uh, on my arm, I've got a Tatooine tattoo. Uh, so I am a, a, a legitimate Star Wars nerd. And as you might suspect, I know a lot of Star Wars nerds. And why this is important is people connect with other people. They just do like no like and trust. Like they, they, you know, when you start letting your fan flag fly for whatever that thing is, chances are you're going to be one of the only financial advisors in that community, right? Like you're, you're people are going to know you're going to see you for who you really are and feel a, a connection to you in a way that's richer, that's deeper, and they, it's not just all about business. Which there's nothing about bit wrong about business, but. It's, it's just one of my favorite things that I'm seeing now. I, I, we are in a new world where that is cool, right? Where it used to be people didn't talk about that type of stuff. But now people go to pl- places like Comic-Con, and it's not just young people going to Comic-Con. It's you know people who are in their 50s and 60s dressing up in costumes and, and doing their own stuff. And so I say embrace that. Let it fly. I love that. Let your fan flag fly. I think that is an amazing (laughs) tagline. Let your fan flag fly. And the the thing is, is that everybody loves community. I was just reading a uh, an article by James Clear, who uh, wrote Atomic Habits, and it was talking about like why like data doesn't help convince people, and because everybody just wants to be accepted. And when you try to convince someone to go against what they are desiring by using facts, they don't necessarily feel that they are like accepted by you, right? But they're going to stay connected to their belief because their belief allows them to be part of a group that they desire, that they want to be about, and that gives them acceptance. So if you want to convince someone, then make them your friend, and then they will start to listen to you. But if you're just trying to convince someone because you want them to believe you. So again, that's the whole point is people love community. Let your fan flag fly. I love that. There you go. I'm going to get a tattoo of that. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'll I'll get a sticker. I'll get a sticker of it. All right? I'll do that. I don't like needles, so I'll get a sticker and put it on my shirt. (laughs) Or a pin that I can put on my lapel every time I I go to a conference, right? Yeah, there you go. Um, I love it. So, Mike Langford, you've been amazing. I am so gracious of our friendship and uh, appreciative of that and appreciative of you joining us and all the things I've learned from you over our our time. I know other people are going to want to learn more from you, connect with you, be a part of your community and let be part of your fan club so they can let your fan flag fly. So how do they best get in touch with uh, Mike Langford and stay in touch with you? So I'm pretty easy to find. I am at Mike Langford on basically every social network. So you just start, you know, search Mike Langford. It's really easy. Uh, you can also come to finservemarketing.com. 
find me there, see some of the podcasts we're producing. And uh, yeah, I'm always happy to chat with people. So come find me. Let's do it. I love it. Mike Langford, stay well, be well. And thank you so much for joining us here on uh, Bridging the Gap. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Bridging the Gap. Don't forget to give us a rating and let us know what you think. 